Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about that? <laughs> I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected and we made it the one. In the sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive on the one hand. On the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled. I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations. Because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. I've been trying to get this guest for a long time, but she's so popular and successful that it's been very hard to pin her down. This woman is just unbelievable on so many levels. She has won basically every award there is to win, Academy Award, Golden Globe, Emmy. She's a humanitarian. She's a philanthropist. She's an activist. She's a mother. And she's one of the most interesting able to be vulnerable and self-exploratory women that I've ever met and an old, old friend. So please welcome Laura Dern today. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. This is just a thrill for me to get to catch up with you and hear how you are through this time. And I just have to say, and I've said this to you before, but one of my favorite memories when we were starting our careers and sitting on a porch together with our beautiful friend, Cheryl Crow, and talking about our dreams and our life, you said, I don't know, there's something, it's not just about acting for me. I wanna be a businesswoman. I want to build something that impacts a lot of other women. I don't know what it's gonna be. I, I mean, were you 19? I can't remember. I just feel like we were kids and you already saw something so beyond your incredible talent as an actor, but it really moves me to remember that day as we were dreaming together. So crazy. I was trying to think the, when I was, I was just talking to my kids about doing this at lunch. Do you remember when we met? I don't remember. I feel like I've just always, known you. It is wild. I, you know, we share family friends and I feel like through yeah. your parents and them, we were always kind of around each other. And then through our friendship also with Cheryl too, we, we spent a lot of time around each other, but it has, 
it is amazing. If I go to a friend's house for dinner or by good fortune end up, you know, spending time with family and family friends on holiday, I feel like we've, we've been brought together many, many times over so many years. So it's really, really lucky. True. And we have a lot, a lot of things in common. We have mother, actors, we have children with musicians. <laughs> it's pretty crazy, right? Yeah, we really do. We have a Both lot. meditators to get us Both through meditators. all those things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is wild, you know, now that we are actors raising children and I hear people ask them what it's like to have an actress mother. It is an amazing thing when you know it, you know, you know how you want to do it differently, but you also know the incredible privilege that we've been given all of us. And, and we all, meaning all of us sharing today that we all continue to fight for in terms of gender parity, because when our moms were trying to do it, you know, you couldn't bring your kid to work or, or get a, a plane ticket for your child to visit you when you were away working for months on a movie. And it was all so complicated and, and being able to have help with your child, you know, daycare, any support, it just it wasn't part of the deal to be quote, a working mother. And the way, you know, our mothers and that generation of incredible women fought for us to have it way easier to be able to be mothers first while we also do what we love and support each other in other ways is really cool. Women obviously get asked all the time, speaking of gender biases, oh, how do you work and how are you a mother and, and work at the same time? For actors, when you're on set for 12 or 14 hours a day, you know, there's an extra layer to it, especially single mothers. So how have you been able... I, you know, it's, it's a question I, always, I get asked so much, like, how do you work and hold those priorities high and close? And how do you mother and hold those high priorities close and integrate them at, at the same time? Like, I think there, there's a sort of reinvention that needs to happen in terms of the way people perceive a working mother, especially for uh, us mothers who work really long hours or have to go away for work. How have you approached that? I don't know if you feel this as well, and, and we actually similarly also were raised by double artist parents. So as your dad and mom, like my dad and mom, had the same schedules we're talking about, I've learned from it in that it matters when you're away, even when your kid doesn't tell you that it does. You have to talk about everything and never just assume that by not talking about it, by not talking about why your work is a priority financially, why it's a necessity emotionally, why it's your joy creatively, and even on a service level, why the thing you're doing might be of value and important and have your kid feel the weight of its importance in the family. I, I just feel like work happened and people weren't there or, or, or stuff was hard, but you know, I understood my parents obviously had to work for a living, but I, I didn't know what it meant to them or to art or to anything. And so I think that's one thing that I've been learning from my own childhood is just how to let them really be 
family member partners in the conversation of what life needs to look like and then what we do from there, how we stay connected and because they're going through the same sacrifices as we are when we have to be away. You know, this time is such a reminder that self-care is already an incredible luxury and how to carve out time without presuming that time is easy for people and perhaps especially single moms who are holding down multiple jobs, but that it's still warranted even in the, in the midst of unbelievable struggle, carving out five minutes for yourself to breathe or meditate or watch something funny and dumb or cook something for yourself or, you know, that, they, that really matters. And if you're also then teaching your kids and working from home and everything else, you know, how to, how to balance all of that is, is such a journey and such a struggle. And so I'm so grateful that you and your amazing team around you have created a space for women to start to talk about what that can look like. I mean, everybody has such different needs, but we all have the need to consider ourselves when we are trying to care for all our loved ones. And I think it's interesting because our role seems to have become as women in this generation, if we're working or we're mothers or we're trying to keep a house together and with, you know, making meals and all of this kind of thing. And which is, which just compounds this energy that I'm about to talk about, which is really like us having to embody the masculine and be like captains of the ships and organizers. And, and so I, I think what struck me when you talked about the importance of taking a minute for self-care and, and talk about watching something funny or just meditating or taking a walk and breathing. It's like, those are the moments that we can connect with our feminine and, and cultivate that energy, which is a really important counterbalance, you know, to being like these strong women who are out in the world. You know what I mean? Reminding our sons and our daughters, right? About connecting to all sides of self, but there's a lot to be fierce about right now. And it's such an unbelievable time filled with so many heightened emotions for all of us that, you know, to teach our daughters to, to manage their ferocity and their power and own ambition as a, as a honorable and fantastic trait, but also to appreciate tenderness. And as you said, beautifully, like give yourself that time to be feminine in, in all the ways that that means for you. And, and, you know, as we're raising young men too, to watch them be integrated in space to feel super vulnerable at a vulnerable time and need nurturing as much as anybody. It's, it's amazing how many, certainly men of our generation were never taught that they're supposed to take self-care time or take care of themselves even at all. That somehow, how anyone got cool to be identified in men as like <laughs> addiction and, and you know not considering oneself is is absurd but somehow that was planted in 
in the mindset, I think culturally of a lot of men. And I think that's shifting for, for boys now too. How, how do you approach as a mother creating that space where like, what do you tell them, especially your boy? Like, how do you give him the permission to be who he is, you know, in a world where there's so many expectations about what everybody's supposed to be? I was hoping you would answer that because I need advice. Every day it changes. And just when I think I have the answer to that question, the response is that I definitely have it wrong. (laughs) In all the years I feel in raising young children that I've been trying to really be present and be in the doing of it, the doing of parenting and the getting it right and being communicative and all the support, I realized this is a moment in their lives where it's about underdoing, doing less, just listening, not advising, being present when they need me, but not exhausting them, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's having to unlearn all my instincts that I've developed in parenting, I think, to give them the space they need to grow into young adulthood. But how, how about you? I'm so interested hearing if you have any tricks up your sleeve <laughs> for, for raising conscious, kind, happy people. Well, you know, judgment is really the, is the, the opposite, is totally in opposition to that philosophy as a parent. When I think a child feels judged, there's nothing that will shut them down faster. And we were probably raised in a generation where it was really clear sort of what you were supposed to be. And, and if you weren't that on any given day or at any given meal, you know, there could be a tendency to feel that kind of judgment about how you were reflecting back on your parents. Or when I was trying to unpack it for myself to understand, you know, if I wanted to approach it differently as a mother. And, you know, it's something that I've talked about with my mother that I think that generation all and and her friends, they regret that sort of, you must be like this and you must look like this. And, you know, this is, and of course they meant it from a place of wanting to help us. And I think wanting to raise people that were capable and thought well of and, and all of that. And it's really fucking scary to contemplate the idea of like, well, who is this kid? You know, like, well, you know, what would happen if I fully let this kid be who they are while understanding that you really do need to teach children certain things, you know, you need to teach them manners, you need to teach them work ethic, you need to teach them responsibility. There are certain things that aren't endemic to who kids are, right? And then there are those things that are. And so for me, it's like a conundrum of trying to separate out who are you and who do you want to be? And then how do I also help you be guided towards, you know, somebody who will, doors will open for, you know, when, when I, when you go out of the house at 18, I want doors to open for them. So what are the things that you have to teach them in order for that to happen? And then how do you not step on their spirit? It's hard. And it's a really complicated time to be raising people to be true to their voice and to nobly walk through the world so that they demand 
that all people are treated equally, while there is, and always has been, perhaps though in this country more at the forefront than we've seen in a while, a real culture of fear around using voice and being in protest of any injustice. And so the complication of coming into your voice, coming into your true self, wanting to affect change, wanting to affect change at the most critical moment in our planet's history and feel opposition about who you show up as. Opposition through social media, opposition with maybe more judgment than even our mother's generation <laughs> had about how you look and how many followers, you know, they have all that noise. And then they have the noise of our political climate. And so they're amazing. Children, these young adults, this generation are amazing to navigate all of that and still stay true to what they believe in. That is a journey I think like no other generation will have gone through. So if we can just keep supporting that innate knowing that we all try to hold on to that is, you know, all we have is being true to ourselves. But there are plenty of people who will really try to talk us out of it from, you know, bad boyfriends to, <laughs> to you know, to social media. So We've had a couple of those. Work out of. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's true. I wonder when I was just hearing you talk about that, I wonder if almost all of this unbelievable amount of external pressure that they're really the first generation to feel as teenagers in this way, right? Because they're the first kind of digitally native generation. Like if that in and of itself forces them to get much closer to their truth earlier, or maybe that's just the case for some kids and then for some kids it's m more damaging, you know? Yeah. So how do that's we direct them I That's going to be a really interesting thing to, to witness in these next few years, right? Applying to school, going to school, taking gap years, like what they'll decide, being forced to work given economic challenges, like how it will affect and shape them is, is unknown. But yeah, continuing to remind them that, you know, every human being has to fight toward helping themselves find balance because it's all, it's all been a myth anyway, that we had control over anything. <laughs> it's just now is so, it's so evident that what we have is this moment and, you know, we, we don't get to decide anything. Talk about a spiritual awakening if, if we choose it because yeah, I didn't realize how much I liked to be in control and as an actor and, and daughter in areas of my life, people are like, oh, you're so free. Oh my God, you're such a hippie. You don't care, like you never plan anything. You're so like, and then <laughs> I just realized that I live in a state of constant anxiety when I don't know what the plan is or what four weeks from now might look like. It's not, yeah, it's incredibly uncomfortable to me. So figuring out how to, then teach people, these young, amazing creatures in my house, how to do that for themselves. You know, how to be in a state of acceptance when everything's so unknown is, I mean, they're teaching me far more than I can teach them. 
let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. CarbonX is an environmental company that aims to empower people to make a positive impact on the planet. They've created a simple platform to help you make up for your carbon emissions by supporting climate-friendly projects. You can earn shareable badges based on how long you've been offsetting, and your subscription will go towards supporting new initiatives and carbon offsetting projects that have been independently verified to have removed CO2 from the atmosphere. You can choose a project that is meaningful to you, such as planting trees in deforested regions of the Amazon and investing in energy-efficient and renewable resources around the world. For the Goop podcast team, CarbonX wanted to cover our team's carbon footprint. They donated a subscription for us to support an energy-efficient cook stoves program in Uganda. To learn more about CarbonX, head to their website at carbonx.com. That's carbon with a K-X.com or download the CarbonX app. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. How old were you or when in your life did you start to get really close to yourself and start to really listen to that most real part of yourself? Or, or did you always? I was an only child. I became, I mean, I started meditating and dreaming and writing in a journal and all of those things at a very young age in childhood because I think I needed it in, in being an only child. And then at 17, when I was acting more and sort of on my own, I became, uh, well, I became a meditator and I became disciplined in what I ate and wanting to care for the land and putting a lot of effort into really understanding regenerative farming and organics and all these things that were around me from loved ones that knew a lot about it and food. And I felt particularly connected to myself. And then I lost it. Then after a breakup, I would sort of come back to it. I just realized it's so, it's such a constant journey, like to really hear yourself, know what you want, know how to handle anxiety or grief or all the things that life presents us in a lifetime and the ebb and flow of really being connected to self is lifelong. How about you? I feel like not till I was pretty near 40, maybe 38. It resonated with me when you talked about feeling it when you were young and feeling the impending freedom and excitement of being older then I felt very connected to who I was and who I would be. And then I feel like it just got squashed down. And uh, then you subjugate yourself for, you know, boyfriends and what they want or, you know, trying to like build your, your life and your career. And, and, but I think around 38, 39, I realized that if I didn't start listening to myself, I was going to die. Like it started to feel that, urgent to me. And I think that's just in my case, I had sublimated so much for so long. And like you, I mean, it's funny. I read something that you, I think maybe you said to Jaya about that most of life is in the gray. You had a beautiful quote where you talked about, you know, the highs of life and how sweet they are and how stunning and uplifting. And then the lows, which are just heart wrenching and unbearable and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but you know, those two states are so clearly defined. 
but most of life is in the gray. I just wanted you to talk a little bit more about that and how you came to that and how you advise her to embrace the gray. Again, it's something I'm learning about every day. And I, this is how I'm paraphrasing it. I love being an actor. I grew up on movies and I love movies. Unfortunately, (laughs) movies are the thing that I think have screwed so many of us up because they told us that the highs were like, perfect sunsets and he was always going to be there and the happy ending sustained for a lifetime and then it doesn't work out that way (laughs) and you I think you're even chasing the highs thinking that there's no gray in those moments because that's what it's like in the movie or the novel we loved and there's bittersweet in life And it's always there, whether it's there culturally, it's there because you know of others suffering, it's there because of your own grief at that moment, while also beautiful things are happening. It's it's kind of remarkable, speaking of the gray, that we have been living amidst this pandemic while also creating these markers of appreciation. And I think it is a a great reminder that if we can hold both, we can live in the knowing that that is life and that there is something incredibly tender and celebratory and vital about living in the gray. I I feel like I, I can't speak for everybody and I can't speak for all women, but as a woman, we have this weird guilt or shame that when life is supposed to be hard is when we're supposed to fall apart. You know, speaking even in the, in the world of goop and, and support in terms of things we can do for ourselves to feel good. I mean, I've remembered moments that I feel like as though it were a play that was written for us, you know, the world or culture has said, oh yeah, this is when you fall apart. You have no joy. You don't take care of yourselves. You don't get out of bed. You don't see friends. You self-isolate, you certainly don't like, you know, use products to feel better or at least take care of yourself at the time you need it most. And I, I do feel whether that was sort of created or put out there, there's a little bit of stigma about self-care at the hardest of moments. I only realized having children how in my childhood and young adult life, Whenever there was a problem, it was supposed to go away as quickly as possible. (laughs) You know, we were told there's a pill for that or no, 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 you're fine. You're not, not." (laughs) just from the the youngest of age memories, right? Of of (laughs) skinned knees and having fallen off a bicycle and seeing like six adult faces going, oh no, you're not crying. You're not scared. You're fine. Get up you're okay. (laughs) Like, wait, what are these adult people teaching me right now? You know, we talk a lot about how both things and all things can be true simultaneously, which as you know, is, is the gift of being an actor that we get to explore all of it in a given moment. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. 
Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. The reason why you're one of my all-time favorite actors ever in the history of... Oh my God, please. It's true. Well, first of all, you seem to be drawn to characters that live in the gray, that are not good or bad or the weak or strong. Like you're, You play these incredibly complex characters. I, I imagine they read like that on the page. But then you extrapolate that out in your performances so that you play complexity and vulnerability and whatever is called for with this abandon and you create this place where it's like you are eliminating shame for people by showing them a beautiful example of what a complicated, complex person looks like. And that is so much more comforting than seeing the, you know, wonderful person or the like bitchy, horrible person. It's like you, no matter, even if, I feel like even if you're playing the person who's supposed to be the great, nice, like there's just, you see it all. It's so human what you bring to everything. And so I wanted to ask you, first of all, do you feel like you are more partial to saying yes to those people? And then secondly, do you feel like it's part of your calling as a healer that you do play these roles in that way? Well, first of all, you are incredibly generous and that was so kind and beautiful and I um, I do love everything we're talking about and as friends as we as we talk I want those conversations around the characters we get to play to be the same that villains and heroines have luckily become more and more muddied in their complication in storytelling than ever before and we need them desperately because people are complicated. And as we're putting our heads and hearts around how to parent, how to love in partnership, how to vote, people are more complicated than we want them to be. It's, it's not clear cut. And so I think I do all, I'm always driven to those characters. And also your mother and my parents, we've all, worked together over the years and know each other. I mean, they came from that longing too. And they were drawn to characters that were messy and complicated. And your mother and my mother particularly were of 
a group of actresses who who looked for that in women at times that we weren't seeing that in film and television. And I think that really influenced me, but also I I grew up with my my father's career, who my dad, Bruce Stern, was deemed the bad guy in movies for a long time in my childhood because he was the man who killed John Wayne in a movie. And, you know, a lot of these things in a way haunted him for a number of years in his early career. And then he started playing everything. But I remember people coming up to him and say, oh, you're my favorite bad guy. And he would look at me and he would always say, Laura, I'm complicated, but I don't play bad guys. I love all my characters, but they're complicated. And I, that just so stuck out to me and I, that excited me about acting. So I do think I, I long for that. And I, and I do think I long for it, certainly in service to my own growth and, and compassion. You know, if I can understand her, despite how much I resent her on the page and, and even adore her, then hopefully I have a little bit more compassion. So certainly the goal would be that others would feel that way too. I said this to our friend Reese Witherspoon the other day because she's producing all of these, all of this incredible content where you, everybody's so real and so complex and you don't even know who you are rooting for sometimes. You're just seeing the humanity in, in the person and it's, it's such a beautiful endeavor. And I, I found myself watching you in Big Little Eyes thinking like, how, how do I like this person so much? You know, and it's cause like you just played her with this abandon and this permission to be, to be so human and so, Anyway, I think that it's a very, very healing aspect of who you are, that you bring so much gradation to oh. all of these roles that you play. And I wonder too, like, are you through playing that and giving yourself the permission to explore and play the way you do, do you feel like you heal some aspect of yourself through your art and through that exploration of complexity? For sure, certainly on the level of self-acceptance, right? Because you're confronted with something you relate to or inhabit and then have to finish the movie and realize you maybe were playing more yourself than you never want to admit. And that's just incredible, you know, to have that, to be given the permission to see yourself really like in a really loving marriage, you know, when your partner can look at you and laugh at some complicated flaw that you've always resented in yourself and they give you permission to just accept that that's a part of you and not deny it or be in shame about it. And so I think these characters definitely do that. And hopefully there's course correction. Some of the things I've learned about myself, but definitely more acceptance for sure and continually learning. You still really love it, don't you? I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. I, I felt like there was a time, especially when the kids were young, I thought, oh, maybe I'll do many different things in my life. I don't know if that will be as much as my first love, but I just love it so much. I have to ask you this, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier about when you were kind of connecting to that true spirit of yourself and being around, you know, being in nature and regenerative farming. And is that how you 
that connection to nature or things in its sort of purest state or the power of plants and herbs? Like, how did you get to true botanicals? I want to hear the story. Well, the truth is I found it in the most surface way possible, which is a makeup artist. And my makeup artist on Big Little Lies started using their pure radiance oil, the face oil, That's great. on me. I and it completely changed my skin. Everyone, including the cinematographers, the other actresses, were like, God, your skin looks so amazing. It's, you know, so luminescent. You know, what foundation is that? And the truth is, is as it not only changed my skin, but just to use it with a little moisturizer as sort of a moisturizer base, we didn't use foundation. So I just used the face oil and that now since then for the last three years is my foundation for film. And it just, it's wow. wonderful and it helps even out the tone of the skin and change the health of my skin. And I now have my daughter using it, who's in love with it. So I found it purely by reaching out to the head of the company and sent an email just saying, I'm a fan. I've tried so many things and worked for so many years doing different makeups and everything on film. I just needed to let you know. And our relationship began in that way, but you know how many products speak to their being natural. And to find a company that is not just truly organic, following not only American standards, but European standards and works so hard and so diligently in terms of how they're protecting our skin, feeding and nurturing our skin, but also protecting the planet and being a fully sustainable company, but that's never enough for them. Like they're always going further. So they know every farm, they know the practice of every farm, they know the treatment of those farmers. I mean, talk about fair trade, proper insurance, small owned businesses looking for gender and diversity parity in the businesses and the farms that they work with. And so they're just, they have incredible integrity. And I've only learned that as I've started to work with them and, and want to spread the word for them. But I'm really thrilled to share it with loved ones and, you know, every woman out there, because I've never seen anything like it. And I use, you know, all of their products and they're just amazing. They're an amazing company. They really are. We're big fans of them at Goop. And you guys have been so supportive. Well, we're so aligned with, you know, any company that's holds themselves to that kind of a standard. Like we look up to, we, we're, you know, we just, we can't say enough about it. And so what is your, do you have a formal role there? Are you getting more entrepreneurial? Are you helping with product? Are you just doing marketing? Like what are, what is your role? I aspire to and am inspired by you to be much more involved in really as a businesswoman, something that never occurred to me and no one ever taught me anything about earning a right to earn, a right to ask for things, you know, like that wasn't, it was just about being lucky to be artists. And so if I can teach my kids anything, it's to, to, to really learn about taking ownership of things. So, but when it comes to this brand, I'm just 
you know, really happy to be an ambassador and spread the word because I love them genuinely. And that relationship started not financially, not anything, just really about the integrity of them and wanting to, to support them. And so it's grown in terms of my investing my time and my love and learning more about them. And we've started to have little bits of conversations as they've wanted to branch out more, which has been exciting. I looked back in a, in a journal of mine and I found a journal from when I was like 10 and it said, I know I'll probably become an actor, but I really want to be a nose for a famous perfume. <laughs> I just loved that at 10, I wanted to be the nose for a perfumery. So clearly, <laughs> wellness and beauty has been much in my mind since a very young age. And I'm excited to, to learn more about it and figure out how we can, again, nurture ourselves while taking care of this very delicate Mother Earth that we have. That's beautiful. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. When it comes to putting together your home, a great rug can make all the difference. A rug is really what pulls a room together and creates harmony. Nordic Knots offers a curated collection of rugs and timeless high quality essentials. They collaborate with leading designers and are the insider rug brand gracing some of the world's most beautiful homes. They have a wide ranging collection, but we'll just talk about a few favorites today. The luxurious Grand Collection is known for its simple design, stunning colors, and high quality wool. But if you're feeling a bit more bold, their designer collaborations are made with world-renowned designers and interior architects. Their Goodweave certified rugs are handmade and woven in all natural materials, like their super soft and beautiful New Zealand wool. At Nordic Knots, they make the process of rug shopping easy and enjoyable. And they always offer fast and free shipping from the U.S. To explore their rug collections, head to NordicKnots.com. Use promo code InnerCircle to get free rug samples. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. I highly encourage you to get as involved with, you know, as you see fit, because it really is rewarding. and And I think that you know, a lot of times when we start as artists and we have interest in, in business, we're sort of explicitly or implicitly told like, oh, that's, you know, that's let us. Yeah. That. And, you, and, it's, and it's not true, especially for women. I think, you know, all you have to do is give yourself permission to learn and really ask whatever question. And, and if, if you need to learn how to read Excel, I can help. I'm coming. <laughs> I need that much. I'm coming right to you. It's, what do you love most about it? I mean, about being your own entrepreneur, businesswoman, and allowing yourself to have that in your life. There's probably have been different answers to that over the years, but as I, I hear you ask that now, I think what it distills down to is I have a business that is an expression of my spirit and my, you know, it's like this phrase we talk about at Goop that we are provocateurs in the cause for good. And that is so close to who I am and to my spirit 
you know, I'm, I've always been the person that will like say the outrageous thing at the cocktail party or like ask the tough question or my rebelliousness has always sort of taken form of like trying to culturally move the needle towards good and towards self-acceptance and toward wholeness, et cetera. So it's really fun. I mean, it's really, really hard. It's really, yeah. really hard, but it's incredibly gratifying and I work with amazing people who are so inspiring and, you know, we're all kind of on this mission together and it's just, it's been, it's just amazing. I, I love it. I really love it. That's so beautiful. And that's, that's the key. I mean, as business women, you know, I think we were always trained to believe it would be not only difficult, but really uncomfortable working with people we didn't see eye to eye with. It was like always going to be a battle. And, and certainly in our mother's generation, it was, you know, if, if there was one woman in a boardroom, that would be shocking. And so to have a culture where asking questions and learning and educating yourself toward ownership is incredible and welcome in a very new way. How about this question? Who is the best kisser on screen who is your oh, on screen, on screen. <laughs> okay okay or off <laughs> i'll answer one now and one when we finish off. Okay. who's the best on screen kisser mm -hmm. do you have an immediate answer for that well i i sort of do yeah I do. Ethan Hawke was my best on-screen kisser. Wow. He was, a, he was a great kisser. This is in the 90s, so maybe he's not as good of a kisser now, but he was a great. I mean, you know, at the time, I can't help but forever remember my, my kisses in Wild at Heart with Nicolas Cage. Yes, totally. That, those are great That kisses. was hot kissing. Yeah, those were Wild at Heart kisses were high up there for sure. <laughs> I'm always curious about that for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah, with all the faking that, that happens in movies right. emotionally, a kiss is still a kiss and it would be nice that it's a good kiss. <laughs> and on that note, Ms. Laura, <laughs> I will let you go. Only if very soon I'm seeing you over a meal and then I will tell you the best. Yeah. Off-screen kiss. Yeah. That's what I want to know. Yeah, I got to figure yeah. that one out. <laughs> is there someone that you kissed? This is my last question. Is there someone that you kissed or, you know, maybe more who is famous that we don't know about that never got into the Of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that will be In fact, I've often thought how amazing it is that a few things are not for public consumption. And yet I've been, I've been told, or there are comments about this like incredible affair I had with a famous person that I don't know. <laughs> so both things have happened. But when we get together, I'll tell you about the, the ones that have not been learned about. Likewise. Like, okay, great. I have awesome. one really good one, I'll tell you. Oh my God, I can't wait. <laughs>
Thanks for tuning in to my chat. That's a wrap on today's episode. If you have a second, please rate, review, and hit subscribe if you haven't already. Don't forget to share the Goop podcast with a friend. And in the meantime, for more, you can check out goop.com slash the podcast.